my journey felt like much more a series of small, courageous, incremental moves that I couldn't necessarily even see were really meaningful at the time. Hey everybody, welcome back to Tales from the Journey. I'm Stephanie Zamora and today we're here with Nicola Holmes who has a a story that I'm really excited to hear more about because I relate to it tremendously going through just a period of life of feeling unfulfilled and lost and not totally lit up by life and then really doing the healing work to create the life that you want. So Nicola, I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Yay. Well, I would love to start with you sharing just a little bit more about yourself and what it is that you do. Sure. So I'm based in Toronto, Canada, and I'm a life coach and I've been practicing coaching for almost 13 years, which blows my mind a little bit. I did that work part-time for about a decade and then full-time over the last couple of years, although thrown off a little bit by these COVID times. And I'm a mom to two young children, a three and a five-year-old and partnered and Those are really like the core of my practices and focus of my life right now. Yeah. I love it. And I love it because knowing a little bit about your story, those were the things that you were really setting out to achieve. So take us back to the beginning. Who were you in your early 20s and what was life like? Sure. And just to give context, I'm in my mid 40s now. So we'll sort of for people to have a sense of um, timing. So yeah, back in my early mid 20s, I had done my an undergraduate degree. And when I graduated um, from those studies, kind of felt like a time that started some real disorientation and starting to struggle to find my own path. In many ways, I'd been quite a kind of high achiever and like I really loved like learning and formal academia. But when it sort of felt like adulting time and time to make some big independent decisions, I really didn't have a clear trajectory of what felt like a fitting career. And even though many expected me to just go right into graduate studies, I didn't really want to do it unless I felt purposeful and clear on why. And so that period in my 20s began to be a time where I started to feel sort of stuck and lost. And I tried, you know, different different jobs and different things, but often I felt a little kind of underemployed and none of the things quite felt like a, a fit. And I would say that, you know, it felt like searching for a little while also felt okay. Like I think lots of, lots of young adults are doing that, but the years started to kind of creep along. And so for me, by the time I was more in my late twenties, I was starting to feel kind of more discouragement, despair, a lot of comparing myself to others who seemed more in paths, relationships, jobs, kind of hitting different milestones that were meaningful to them. And I just started to feel pretty down on myself. Like that is sort of the trying to just paint the picture of a lot of those 20s. And again, not that the work I was doing wasn't meaningful. I was doing different stuff in the social service sector and it was good work, but just none of it felt quite um, like I had people who they were becoming midwives or different professional paths that they were really lit up by, like they were living lives that lit them up. And it was painful and kind of increasingly painful that I didn't feel that way about my own. Yeah. Was it something that you thought you really wanted to do when you first started out? Well, my original career path 
like, I mean, so my undergrad was in like psychology, sociology. So again, exploring in that social service sector, I did some frontline work with adolescents or children with, you know, mental and behavioral health issues. I was always quite a spiritual seeker. So I worked at a yoga studio and I trained to facilitate dance and movement as spiritual practice. That was a good fit, actually. I never, you know, that didn't function as a full livelihood or my full path. But I can say like there was a way in which that was aligned kind of with my gifts and values and sort of my soul, my spirit really lit up. But again, it didn't, you know, it was a, it was a thread woven into the tapestry. And I think I was longing for a career path that felt like a real vocational calling, like quite deep and wide. And, and I didn't have something all encompassing like that. So it was like those early experiments on those different jobs and career paths those were meaningful, but I think the whole struggle was that I felt a profound sense of, I don't know what I want. That's what's so painful. If I knew and was just struggling to bridge A to B, that's one thing. But I think like I really longed to have a sense of knowing and I didn't, I didn't have that. It felt like I'm just running experiments that many of them just kept on not bearing fruit as something that held the potential to kind of be like, something for like lifelong development, for example. Yeah. Yeah. I went to school for graphic design and as much as I enjoyed and loved it, even when I got out into the world, it was like, this doesn't light me up the way that I thought it would. Doesn't like jazz me about things and it doesn't feel like I'm doing my purpose work. And so I did something very similar. It sounds like where I started to like try to change external things and different (laughs) jobs and, and different companies that I worked for. But it ultimately, you know, it took me really figuring out what I was here to do. Yeah. How did it affect kind of your own mental health and the rest of your life and your relationships to be trying to find fulfillment in this part of your life that is such a massive chunk of time every single day and week and month? How did it, yeah, how did it affect everything else for you? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And as you're speaking, it reminds me, Career feels like one of those pretty big puzzle pieces. Like, as you say, not only time, energy, I think it affects for many people, especially in a dominant culture that so values productivity and labor. I think a lot of people, our sense of identity can be quite tied and worth. So to not have that feeling aligned, you know, hit those pieces. And also, I often, as I said, felt a little underemployed. So my finances weren't where I wanted them to be. So just honoring it affected a lot of pieces of my life. Yeah. But as far as, yeah, kind of emotional and mental health, I sort of mentioned a few things. So it kind of started to hit like, okay, some discouragement, even at times sort of a sense of despair, a feeling of fear that what if I never kind of find a fitting path that honors who I am and the gifts and how I could serve. I think that was the other thing. Like, I really wanted to make a positive difference in the world. And I did have a sense that I had gifts to use. And so that feeling of unactualized potential was very painful. You know, I think other times people may struggle with a low sense of self-worth. I don't even believe I have gifts to offer, but I sensed that I did. And so it just felt like so painful and increasingly so that I couldn't find a path or a role to express and develop those. I would also say like in terms of affecting relationships, probably just like, 
in hindsight, I wouldn't have used a clinical term or diagnosis. And I don't even think that necessarily was married, but probably at times dipping into some low grade depression, like just, you know, crying, feeling upset, feeling. I remember when it was really hitting some low points, I really had a very strong inner critic and a voice that kind of said, you're failing at life. You're, you know, and it was very painful when I believed a voice like that. And so I think in my relationships, the close people, they knew I was having those struggles, thinking those kinds of thoughts. And I was so lucky to have kind, compassionate support. But I mean, it showed up because I wasn't that happy. And people trying to support and hold faith in me when I was struggling to hold faith. And I mean, I think that's what, that's what comes to mind. And I guess on that note, it did feel like, so there was career as a primary area, but it also felt like I hoped for, I didn't know, I know, I don't, and I still, even though I've got my kids and I've got a committed partnership and we'll get, you know, all the different where, how life unfolded, but I did want a committed, like really meaningful career path. And I also hoped for a committed romantic partnership and one that would have a foundation for family life. Like as a kid, like in my bones, I knew I wanted to be a a mother and hopefully a biological mother. So it also felt like that also wasn't going the way I hoped. I had kind of a lot of serial monogamy and like wonderful people and healthy relationships. But again, almost that same kind of feeling of I'm not finding one that feels like the vehicle for like a committed long-term journey. And so that was painful too, just to also honor that struggle to find a long-term fit showed up in a bunch of arenas. And I guess I would add, I really struggled to trust myself. I kept longing to feel like this is the right career path or a right partner. And um, I struggled a lot with kind of self-doubt and making commitments and getting so afraid of making a wrong choice or wasting more time. So that also became a kind of a mobilizing trend in my psychological life, if that makes sense. Would you say like when you were younger and going to school and like starting to imagine (laughs) what your life was going to look like, did you have a pretty clear vision then of all the different parts and how you wanted it to look and feel? Well, I think it wasn't like I never was a kid who was like, I'm going to be a doctor. I had all different things. I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to be a teacher. I laughed. I, I journaled a lot as a child. And one time I found something I'd written at age 11, which said, I'm going to write books, be a teacher, get married and other <laughs> cheerful things. That Aww. was what I'd written. <laughs> and, and, you know, funny enough, like as the path unfolded in a way, I am a writer and a coach and, and an educator and facilitator. So in a way, the kernels of that essence, there was accuracy in that. But to find the form was such a challenge in my 20s. And gosh, I didn't even know coaching existed then. Yeah. I definitely explored. I nearly went to graduate school for, to become a therapist in my uh, late 20s. And then at the last minute, I kind of panicked and I felt too ambivalent about it. Um, So it almost felt like sometimes I would kind of do these starts, but no, I didn't have a career path that I was set on, but I did imagine being married and having kids. I did have that. And I think, you know, I think often females get socialized for that, but I think I really did want partnership, um, family life. And then, yeah, that was as far as it went, writing, teaching. Yeah. Yeah. I asked because you know, I think about my own journey is, is 
similar, but different, but feeling very unfulfilled, no matter what it is that I tried or who I was with or what job I was doing or work I was doing where I lived. Like I tried to change all those external factors. And one of the messages that I heard quite a bit was that I should just be happy with what I had, that maybe it wasn't an issue with what was in my life and what wasn't, that it was like a gratitude problem. And for me, I'm so glad that I never bought into that because I never would have created what I have today, which is so much more fulfilling and so much more aligned. Yeah. And so my question to you would be, did you face any of that pushback in your own journey? That's a great question. And I empathize with what you've shared about your experience. Not so much the the gratitude story, but definitely pressure. Like my dad in particular, I think he just felt like, almost like a more practical, just choose something, choose law, (laughs) choose teaching, some of the things that would have been fairly natural fits out of my undergraduate studies. And I mean, definitely pressure. And I think his own anxiety, you know, like, oh my gosh, you got to get the show on the road, you know, just choose something and go. (laughs) So there was that kind of pressure, which felt difficult. And yeah, I don't think fortunately that people sort of said, come on, just settle with it, settle with whatever you've got. But I think maybe just that no one else could give me the answers either. Maybe, you know, be present with me, cheer me on, sometimes encourage like, you know, don't, don't believe those inner critic voices, like what you are doing still matters and has worth now, you know, and that was, there was some value in that. But, but yeah, it was difficult. No one could wave a magic wand and sort of resolve those inner questions, inner struggles, and the pain where it felt like tensions between the life I was living and the life I sensed was possible for myself. Yeah. So tell us how you started to kind of untangle from these relationships and this career path that wasn't truly fulfilling so you could start creating what you really wanted. Sure. I mean, so it's funny too, because when you shared some questions to prompt that might be part of our conversation and There was something that made me sort of think about, was it a kind of aha moment? Was there a sort of key turning point? And it was interesting to take some time to reflect because in many ways, my journey felt like much more a series of small, courageous, incremental moves that I couldn't necessarily even see were really meaningful at the time. But, you know, in hindsight, I can look and see. So so I would sort of say my early 30s, let me think, I mean, I was, I was living in a wonderful household that was, you know, kind of a community intentional household focused on ecological and social justice, which was great. And I was working in a shelter at that time as a child support counselor for women and children who had fled abusive situations. So both of those things were quite meaningful and yet still didn't feel like I could see myself you know, digging in forever. And so there was a point at which I felt done and I didn't know what the next sort of chapter would be or what I would commit to. And so I had applied to graduate school with still feeling quite a bit of ambivalence about it. It was a degree in adult education and community development in Toronto. And so my application was in and I decided I had just, I had ended a relationship I quit my job. I decided I would leave that city and that home. So it sort of felt like a five-year chapter was coming to an end. And I ended up kind of like doing a leap of faith, which is to say, 
I'd always felt a quite mysterious, like a pull or a longing to go up north, like to, to, uh, it's sort of like in our Yukon territory, kind of close to Alaska for American listeners. And I decided I am going to go north. Um, and it sort of felt like, well, I could, someone had said, what are the practical reasons you're doing that? Or what are you going to do? Like, I didn't know, but I felt <laughs> ready to follow that call. And so I even, I took a one-way ticket and it felt like wrapping everything up and putting all my stuff in boxes and getting a backpack and taking a train across the country and a ferry up. And all I had to start was I had one friend up there and um, she lined up a house sitting arrangement for me. And that was it. And um, it ended up being a really magical summer. I worked at a bakery, which I'd had a funny little dream I'd always wanted to do. I didn't see that as my lifelong vocation, but I just, there was something I wanted to do. And at the time I had this um, stand-up comedic alter ego character I did. Like I've done a lot of eclectic different things through those Mm. 20s and early 30s. So it was a really creative summer and meeting really neat people. And then I did end up getting accepted into that graduate program. And I really struggled, as I mentioned, like I felt ambivalent about it in the first place. And I was just trying to decide, do I see myself staying up here or am I going to go back to Southern Ontario? And, um, but what was key and noteworthy to me was that I had often kept waiting for like some aha, like signs lit up in gold light telling me, go this way. This is the right partner. This is the right career path. And it was an interesting experience where I learned to tolerate uncertainty. And instead of continuing to wait for this like 100% inner intuitive knowing, I decided that this was good enough. Like I could see different ways it would be a great fit with sort of my interests and values. And I just decided, you know what, unless I have another clear yes, that's more right, more powerful, because I felt like I'll follow that calling if I get that. But if I didn't get it, I felt like I have to stop just saying no. And, and so I decided to go for it. And it was so uncomfortable. I was so afraid of it being the wrong path that I had decided I can only commit to a semester because I can't keep agonizing every single day. Am I in or am I out? I often would have like a toe out of a relationship, a yeah. career path and so on. And so for me, it was a really powerful experience of learning to tolerate some discomfort, to go ahead, give it my best. And in the end, many wonderful things came, you know, and by the time that first semester ended, I was ready to just take it one step at a time like that, then another semester and then another. And suddenly I had, you know, done that path. And in the meantime, I had discovered coaching finally, which is to say (laughs) when I headed up North, someone recommended a book by a life coach and writer named Martha Beck called Finding Your Own North Star. And they had said, claiming the life you were meant to live. And they had said, it almost seems like you were going geographically north, but that the (laughs) deeper longing is for your own inner compass, your own true north. And it so resonated. And so that book, at one point, I was recommending it to an academic colleague, like in my graduate program and saying, if you know anyone who's struggling with life direction or feeling lost, as I have for many years by this point, this has been such a helpful resource and I recommend it. And one of my friends, her name was Amy. She said, well, what's a life coach or who is this author and so on? And I explained in shorthand what I understood a coach to be. And she said, 
that sounds so much like you. (laughs) And it was like a true kind of a light bulb moment. I haven't had that many that were quite like this, like truly a kind of like tingles where I felt like that, that resonates. That's true. Like even when I looked back suddenly at all those years, how I would support women leaving abusive situations, for example, supporting them with transformative change and opening up possibilities for what they really longed for, bringing a strengths-based approach to, you know, and a sense of resourcefulness for their lives and their children. And I could suddenly kind of realize I approached that in such a coach-like way. Again, I didn't even know of the profession or that as a toolkit, but it was like a click It was such a helpful reflection and it put into motion so many of the things that have informed and shaped this past decade or so. So I was able to like sort of um, shape the rest of that graduate degree around coaching. Like there was a lot of flexibility in it and there was synchronicity at play, like an opportunity opened up that I could be an academic and life coach when someone I knew was doing a parental leave in a professional setting. And I did my first round of training and like, I didn't even, I'd never anticipated an entrepreneurial path. And I actually felt quite intimidated by it, but like clients came to me, like people were like, oh, you're a coach. And I would just be sharing so enthusiastically about coaching itself and what it can do. And so people said, well, could I work with you? Like, so I just, I guess I share this in hopes that like, if I'm imagining your listeners or the audience who might relate to some of those stuck or painful or blocked or not knowing feelings. It is noteworthy when I look back how there was something about it that was like click and flow and doors just started to kind of open and I would have the courage to take the next step and the next, but it wasn't like I knew exactly where it was going. Again, it was more like one little step and one little step. But there was a new level of fit that I had never felt prior in any of those other career options. Yeah, I love this so much. I had goosebumps several times while you were talking. (laughs) Something that really stands out is that it seems like at some point, maybe when you moved north, like you started to trust yourself more than you had earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Trust feels like such a key word in this whole narrative or these themes that we're exploring. I really struggled to trust myself, to know what I wanted, to to feel clear on decisions, to pursue what I wanted. And it was a practice of beginning. But I will say it's it's easier in hindsight. At the time, oh gosh, like people were like, what the heck are you doing? You know, you're 32. What do you mean you're taking a one-way trip up north? <laughs> um, and you don't even know if you're coming back or not. But it, it, it really was, there was so much wisdom in that. And as I say, the very, the other thing that I guess feels meaningful to try to underscore it is that it wasn't all comfortable. You know, that decision to come back and pursue the graduate program, even though I wasn't really sure I didn't know even then, like, what am I going to do? It's not like a nursing program that I know, then I'll follow nursing. It was an adult ed degree that still was very open-ended. And I still felt like, I don't really know. But that was really key to be able to learn how to tolerate fear, to take risks and to stop being quite so hung up on absolute right and wrong decisions. That was actually paradoxically really 
really key. And then in its own way, I did live my way into the grace of some new clarities in ways I could never have guessed. Yeah, I love that so much. We talk a lot about surrender, surrendering to the unfolding of life and journey mapping. And it sounds like that was a big piece for you, like really letting go of the idea that you needed to know what was going to happen next, that you needed to be like, I'm doing this program the entire time. And like, this is what my life will look like so that you could make space for the guidance and the little nudges. I would love if you could speak to that and like any skills or resources or tools or support you had in cultivating that courage. Oh, no, that's a great question. And just as you share about it, like that idea, I also just feel like adding in, um, I think that was part of the struggle too, in some ways from that, like leaving undergrad and going into that time in my twenties, in some ways, I think I'd always known how in school, in those kind of settings, it's like the goals were already in some ways set out for us. Like the objectives are to succeed, to get good grades, hand in your paper at this time. And when those were set for me, I was really skillful at knowing how to reverse engineer, you know, okay, I'll have to do the research by then and write by then. And so I could really hit, knock those all out of the park. And in some ways, that was what was so difficult for me without those clear, longer term goals. I couldn't do the same game. I couldn't use those same skills of organize, reverse engineer. And so what you're speaking to and what it evokes in me is like, it was like a whole other framework of living to begin to say, it's enough to know and listen to the guidance and take this little step, even though I don't know where it's going to take me and then take this next emergent little step. And, oh, here's this unexpected opportunity. But it was very different than in some ways the training that I had mastered as a child and as a young adult. So I just feel like naming, you know, I think I knew how to do that more linear way of living. And that's in some ways what was so hard when I didn't have a clear cut goal to work for. So did I have support in learning to do that? Well, I mean, I was always very blessed with, as I say, like supportive friends and family. And I definitely had mentors along the way, different. I did some like facilitating expressive arts groups. And I worked with a play therapist who in many ways, even play, right? Like living with a spirit of greater play and emergence and spontaneity. I think he could hold more faith than I could for myself. (laughs) But that Martha Beck book was actually quite pivotal for me. And she uses a metaphor of letting yourself go through life like you're playing the warm, hot, cold game. And just in case anyone's not familiar with it, it's where you know, and I did play it as a child where people hide an object while you leave the room and you come back in and whether I think you can do it blindfolded or not, but you're trying to find the object. And when you're moving in a direction that's taking you away from that, that object, people say cold, cold, or you're moving, you know, it's colder (laughs) and then warmer as you move towards it. And when you're really close, hot, 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 and then you touch it and you can find it. And she believes Martha and I came to really resonate with this, that we do have an inner guidance system. And if we learn how to be in touch with it, to trust it, to listen to it, to act on it, it grows like a muscle. And so that warm, hot, cold game is if it feels resonant, if it, if it lights you up to come back to a phrase you used earlier, what, you know, if there's genuine curiosity and um, joy, then let yourself follow it. Like that's the warmer. 
And if, you know, as that energy grows, there's, you know, in that person or that environment or that role, you know, let yourself follow that and it will emerge a life that feels really true to you. It's very different than I know where the object is and I reverse engineer the map to draw on the different right. ways of moving. Yeah. So yeah, that Martha Beck book was a huge resource. And I think like anything, each little decision I made, each little act of courage, like the metaphor of a muscle, well, I began to trust it more. Like, you know, I could see that it was yielding positive results intrinsically. I was feeling happier. I was feeling more at peace. I was less plagued by that unfailing narrative or feeling of misalignment with my external conditions and my sense of self. So I could also just feel it from my own inner feedback. Yeah, that's huge. Building that inner knowing, that intuition piece is such a core part of the work that I do with all my clients, because for me, it's been key, like really being able to trust myself and discern what's right and wrong for me. When the people around me are saying, no, I think you should go this way, or it doesn't make any sense, like moving up North, like you did, you know, like (laughs) you really have to have that connection to your intuition. So tell us you found coaching and you felt it click and what happened next? So then, as I say, so I was able to sort of finish those graduate studies in a way with with a real focus and curious commitment to coaching and the potential of it. And I jumped right in. I decided, you know, along with training and learning more about coaching, I really felt like I want to know what it's like to be a client. Like, I don't want to just have theory. I think if this is something I'm meaningfully might be something that I am and I could do. So I really valued jumping in and beginning to be a coaching client. And it was really invaluable. And I had done a bunch of therapy at that point. And I so respect that path of personal growth as well. But coaching had a whole different set of tools and approach. And it was really, you know, it was really enriching and really personally meaningful and affirming that I think I would be so honored to also help others in the way that I felt supported by my coach. So those things were happening. And then, then I ended up, like I say, like clients, I just started a little with a few clients and I I still felt really intimidated and not ready to jump in um, to run my own coaching business. So I was exploring like, might I work in an organizational setting as a coach? And I ended up doing a bit more work in the violence against women sector. I was uh, like a crisis counselor on a, a support phone line. And that really, I was able to sort of draw so much on my coaching skills. And I really valued that work. Like it was a good fit. And I was, I was still sort of navigating different um, like intimate partnerships. And, and sort of, so those things were happening. And I taught a college course on health literacy. and. Um, Those things, again, it wasn't like, aha, nothing was like the coach feeling, but I still really enjoyed, you know, coaching, crisis, crisis uh, counseling. And I would say then by my mid late thirties, what feels important to name. And so, I mean, I love my coaching clients and it felt ever affirming, never once, never once have I doubted this path, you know, as it's iterated and it's changed, but the fundamental as a trajectory is such a true fit for me. So I'm so grateful to have finally found it. But I would say just like that, going to graduate school and learning how to tolerate some of my own 
emotional discomfort and to build trust in myself. I sort of had a similar journey around partnership in my mid late thirties. And at that point I was like, shoot, I didn't feel right for me to embark on solo parenthood and with biological like timing and sort of feeling that biological clock ticking. Like there was some increasing pressure on that front. It felt like, okay, my career is starting to move along. I wonder what's going to be possible here. And just, you know, that was a tough, big piece for me as well. And so interestingly, just to put it in shorthand, like I had a really like devastating kind of heartbreak and quite a dramatic uh, relationship ending. That was about when I was about 36. And I guess what I, when I look back, I, it ended up sort of breaking me open. You know, when you hear people say like breakdown, breaking open, like it was just so intense. And, but in the end, the gift of it was that I really did very deep personal therapeutic work. And I really kind of traveled down to some core old attachment trauma, some core childhood stuff. And it was actually like, I sort of feel like sometimes life, we go through a fire. Like that is what it felt like. I mean, it was, it was excruciating when I was in it, but because I did it consciously, because I was blessed with an amazing therapist, a coach, I reached out to a different particular coach, like really held as I kind of melted and burned. But I really feel like that had to happen to evolve to my own next level, just like so that I could finally go to grad school, which opened up so many, you know, unexpected gifts that then it is not coincidence. It is not just, you know, random chance that I was then ready that then the next partnership that that door and that exploration ended up being one again, where instead of always being that toe half out and constantly struggling with ambivalence and is this the right person in a way, again, I felt this trust in myself and I letting go of the fantasy of some absolute awe person on high and embrace. This is a good enough partnership. This is a good enough person. And And we really felt the ingredients there to go ahead and open to parenthood. And, you know, here we are eight, nine years later with two amazing kids. And it's, I find it hard work. Partnership is not quite as easy for me as coaching. Let me be honest. (laughs) But could I be beyond, you know, could I be more grateful? Like, I mean, and I was 37, 38. So I was 39 when I had my first child, 41. I am so grateful. Like, and I was starting to surrender that, well, maybe that won't be my path. Like maybe, and I was trying to sort of reconcile that there would be other gifts if I were child-free. And I don't doubt I could be living a rich, meaningful life. And kids do take so much energy. There would be other ways, you know, I could be using my life energy. But for me, talking about a life that feels true to me, being a mother was so part of that true north. And so it just feels important to name because yes, career was big, but motherhood and that journey of growing through family life was also so something I longed for. So am I ever, yeah, grateful. And for anyone out there, I, I feel so much. I do feel like the biological clock piece jobs we can change, partners we can change, even marriages we can extricate ourselves. But I think for female-bodied people who really want 
biological motherhood, that one can feel like such pressure and really painful. So I just want to, my empathy for those who are in that sort of time frame, And I just, that was very painful for me, you know, not knowing how that was going to unfold through my 30s. So I love to also be a little spark of it can still happen, you know, Absolutely. even a little later than you ever <laughs> expected. Oh. Totally. Oh, goodness. I would love if you could speak a little more to So I'm thinking about like the people who are still really attached and still really clinging to it must look and feel a certain way. Like it, it needs to be like, oh, um, <laughs> whether it's career or relationship, but specifically what you said around relationship, like letting go of the attachment to it has to look and feel a certain way and that this is good enough. I know me personally, way back when I was feeling unfulfilled and trapped and unhappy, I would have heard that as, oh, I'm supposed to settle. Yeah. And I know that that's not what you're saying, but I would love if you could kind of speak to what is the difference between settling and saying, you know what, this is good. This is good enough. That's such a great question. And I know exactly what you mean, like that it can, it can sound like that. So that I'm almost just like needing to pause and like, how would I discern that, that subtlety, but it makes a big difference. Oh gosh, like you almost stumped me. I'm usually pretty <laughs> Well, I guess. Hmm, I guess so. Sometimes, actually, this is interesting. I'm. I, I still do really respect Martha Beck, and so I'm actually going to pull in one of her another metaphor that was helpful for me, which is she. She talked about this idea of like fear is likely always going to be part of the journey. So how do we discern when it's a fear saying kind of like red light, red light, like, don't go this way. This is not your true path. You know, it's colder, colder versus this is like good enough, or this is right for me, or this is worth exploring. And it's scary too. It's a, it's almost like a, a good fear that's saying warm or hotter. And so a metaphor that she used was imagine you're on a diving board. I don't know if you're familiar with this one and you're looking down if, if it's as though there's a big pool of sludge, it's like a septic, you know, down there. If that's the feeling, almost kind of like a revulsion, she would say that's a sign that embodied wisdom, not your mind, not a should, um, but in your body and in that gut, that inner compass, that would be an indicator back away, step back, like, no, you know, don't move in that direction. But on the contrast, in a contrast, if it's a sparkling pool of water that looks exciting, it still may be really freaking scary to jump off the board and, you know, have your body falling through space. But there's a way in which it looks safe, inviting. And so it's subtle, and, but it's learning how to, again, attune to this body wisdom. And because it almost felt like I have to learn how to tolerate fear no matter what. That was kind of what I learned. And sometimes my mind is going to see, well, what if this and what if that and almost some catastrophic thinking and continuing to long for this 100% assurance, a guarantee of a right path. And what I had to keep learning was I never get that. Whether it's I'm heading off to the Yukon, no one can actually tell me what's going to come out of that (laughs) or choosing to stay in something that wasn't that nourishing. And so part of it, it was learning to tolerate fear, but I, that helped me to pay attention to the, the energy in my body. So I don't know if that feels clear enough to you, but that helped me because it would be like the prospect of journeying with this person. There's a lot of stability and kind of emotional maturity in this connection in ways that felt really nourishing. I could see some of the things that 
um, felt like they might be our challenge areas, but they didn't feel right. like deal breakers. So it's like, I felt like I was clear eyed. I, I knew it wasn't going to be perfect, but I think I'd also come to the mature recognition of like, there, that doesn't exist. No. And the whole prospect of sharing a journey with this person and, and because we were open to parenthood together. Oh, yes, that was sparkling water. That's what I'd been wanting for a long time. And again, not because that's a cultural prescription, especially for women. It wasn't that. I know women for whom partnership may not be the most meaningful piece or parenthood. So I have, it's, it's really about honoring ourselves. And sometimes there's an overlap of where our own longings line up with cultural, you know, culture, what's valued or what's prescribed. But really, it's about listening to ourselves. Doesn't matter so much whether at the end of the day, I don't believe the lives that that we long to live are about whether we get approval or disapproval status or lack of status. Like there's something about learning to follow this. Yeah. These instincts within that are really key. Absolutely. And you mentioned doing deeper attachment stuff. So I would I would add to what you said. For me personally, when I started healing my core wounding and my attachment trauma and things like that, it's like there's a different experience with good, healthy partners. Like there's, it's not that there's no spark, but there's not that dramatic charge. A hundred percent. And, and just as you're talking, so interesting, you know, this is our first conversation. It does seem like there may be lots of parallels because it's easy, I think, for us to understand (laughs) what we're each communicating. Because I think often when we're operating from unmet child, you know, child needs or child longings that didn't get met, then in a way, what we're doing unconsciously is continually projecting longing still for the parent we didn't get or the, and so that was definitely my dance I can see in hindsight. And so if you learn to get enough healing and resolution for that child part and begin to tend to that child yourself, then you're not getting the charge of that projection of that, all that parent stuff. And you're right. I think it does lend itself to a more grounded, stable. Now you finally have the potential for an adult, adult connection. Not that we won't still have our young stuff come up probably in different little perfect storms of conditions, but it's very different than a kind of unconscious child parent or two kids projecting onto each other. (laughs) So yeah, there was no question that doing that work was was key yeah but it was a heartbreak at the time it meant going back and feeling a lot more of the full extent of the pain that had been repressed and as kids we adapt it was so adaptive to know how to suppress that it felt so overwhelming yeah but it still felt very painful to experience it um yeah as an adult too definitely to kind of come full circle what do you wish that you knew in your early to mid-20s I love when you offer that question in writing. And in some ways, I was sort of thinking, part of me wishes I could have had like faith in myself. Like, I wish I might have had faith no matter how difficult this is. I will somehow in time find my way into meaningful work, relationships that I can settle into, again, in in positive ways. But I was thinking about like the hero's journey or those kind of mythic archetypes, the truth is you don't get that assurance. Like that's part of it. Like I kind of wish I could 
go back and reassure that 24-year-old, 28-year-old, 31-year-old. That was the authentic part of the terrain, you know, just in the same way when the hero sets out, they don't get assurance that they will find the Holy Grail or, you know, meet the challenges. So I think it's part of me could wish for that, but I also honor that's how it needed to be. I would, I would wish that maybe I could have learned a little sooner to begin to practice tolerating ambiguity, ambivalence, and not get stuck. Like I had periods of immobilization or just, you know, hesitating to make any decision or when people say paralysis analysis, like I would have months of trying to decide, am I in or am I out of this relationship? Am I going to go to this graduate program or not? And so I think, and even like if I could, and I remember even like there was some wisdom in my dad saying, just choose. You will learn something by getting out of this tension of just waiting, waiting, longing, longing. And I have come to respect that, that so often we will learn more by, by choosing a yes or a no than staying endlessly in an I don't know or a, a position of no choice. And learning, again, it, part of what that means is learning to tolerate risk. And it's okay even if it doesn't work out and to begin to trust I'm going to be okay no matter what. That trust. Can I trust that I'll be okay? Because if that, then I can move in my life more without getting so stuck. That was so, I just can't exaggerate how painful. And as it felt like doing that over and over and beginning to recognize, I seem to be stuck in a pattern, but I don't know how to get out. That is one I could kind of wish. I began to experiment with that a little sooner. (laughs) I love that so much. That's That's really powerful. We're going to link to all of your amazingness in the show notes, but please tell people where they can find you, how they can learn from you and how they can work with you. Sure. Uh, Thanks so much, Stephanie. Yeah. So my website is probably the best place, www.nicolahomes.ca. Again, I'm sure it's in the show notes, so you can go there. And it's interesting just to be really transparent. Like right now during these COVID times, we've got our kids home. Coaching has gone from, you know, four days a week to I'm just doing a little bit of one to one coaching right now. And I'm very grateful. But, but a number like I had developed a small group coaching program and a course called Level Up. And I was all set to um, launch a podcast this year that I actually myself had probable COVID and then was on a long hauling journey, which I feel like I'm finally just turning the corner. But so just to name, this is not one of those times where I am full tilt career taking the usual amount of space in my life. So just, you know, my website's there. I love sending. um, I share my blogs, my podcast, which I'm calling All Things Change. That's coming. It'll come. Um, But yeah, if people want to even just read some of the different blogs or connect with me to chat, connect if some of what I've shared about resonates, I'd be delighted and honored to uh to connect with folks awesome well nicola thank you so much for being here and for sharing your journey and all of your wisdom it was such an honor to have you oh thank you stephanie and just to all those listeners like yeah i'm just cheering people on and just holding faith in them for people who have resonated with sounds of aspects of both of our stories i just especially it's like i want to i wish i could give them a hug and just hang in there and 
keep taking those courageous steps and it is amazing what can come as you know. Thank you so much for joining us today and for being a part of this powerful community of purpose-driven individuals. We have a ton of free resources for you at www.talesfromthejourney.tv free, including access to my signature process for how to make the impossible happen, packaged in a simple, easy to follow workbook that you can implement immediately. Whether you're trying to heal in the aftermath of a challenging chapter, working to uncover your purpose, or going after anything else that feels impossible, you'll learn how to take an entirely different kind of action that goes against much of what you've been taught about manifestation and goal achievement. We'd love your help in getting the message out and growing our community, so please take a moment to share this episode, subscribe to the podcast, and leave us a review on iTunes. I'll catch you in the next episode.